Well, good afternoon. Welcome, if you are, if you are visiting, uh, my name is Brad. I'm the uh, senior leader here uh, in this wonderful, amazing, beautiful, fantastic community. Uh, but very honored to share. I'm uh, speaking again on idolatry. Um, not the exact same message, um, but there's more, yeah. So now's your chance. Uh, run out the door. Um, so yeah, uh, hopefully, if you weren't here last week, that you've had an opportunity to catch up online and, uh, and, or on the podcast and, and watch or listen to that. So our, all of our sermons, they go on YouTube and on uh, iTunes podcast and all that sort of stuff. So there's lots of different ways to interact uh, with that. But um, yeah, it's also been our week of fasting coming to an end. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, hopefully it's been helpful and beneficial uh, for those who participated. Um, uh, but acknowledging last week, you know, the topic of idolatry, I mean, the word may have been familiar to you, but maybe for some of you, kind of recognizing, yeah, well, I haven't really thought that idolatry was relevant to my life. Like, I don't, I don't go to any temples anywhere. I don't do that sort of stuff but then presenting and going, oh, actually, just the idols of our modern day, are uh, they just look different. Uh, and so as well, acknowledging that you know, if you were here last week, you know, it's the first time I've ever heard it, um, that there might have just been time even throughout this week where the Lord has been highlighting maybe some different areas in your life, uh, in your heart that, uh, that has, you know, he's brought up and you've gone, oh, yes, there actually is some idol worship in my life. Anyone brave enough those who don't have the idol of, uh, of public approval, uh, put it hand if you've acknowledged some things that maybe you're like, oh yeah, I didn't quite realize that um, was, uh, was, was idolatry. So it's good, thank you for being brave. Um, if you weren't here last week and you haven't caught up during the week, uh, just to give you a quick rundown. So what is idolatry? As I said last week, it is the worship of anything above or other than God. So it's the worship of things other than God. So sometimes it is putting things in the place of God um, or just you know, going to something else as a place of worship uh, to, to worship. And it's actually a false God that we're worshiping. It's the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. Now again, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about the subtlety of it because I think we'd all say, well, no, I'm a Christian, I worship God. And it's like, well, yes, you do. But when we start to look at our lives and kind of do a bit of an examination, we can start to realize, oh, but maybe there's some areas in my life, some things where I actually go to that rather than going to God. Uh, Timothy Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. So you can be a God worshiper and an idol worshiper at the same time. Like I think it's kind of the thing of there's not just either or, it's like there's parts of my heart, there'll be parts of your heart which actually aren't fully yielded to God. So in some ways there would be areas where you know what, I, I would call myself a lover of Jesus, he is my Lord and Savior and I, I, I come every week, I love to worship him and I pray, I just delight in God, all, all the time, and yet 
maybe when I hit a hard point, I kind of go to some other place for comfort or I, I seek out, I also seek out my significance um, by my social media profile or, you know, there's other areas as well where God doesn't have all of us, but where kind of our heart is divided and given over to other things. So the biggest issue of idol worship is not just the sin that naturally flows from it and the damage that can happen to other people, that is obviously very bad. But the worst part of idol worship is that we've replaced God with something else, that we've sinned against God himself when we worship an idol. And this, that should be the thing I think that burdens us the most. Because if we look at idol worship and we acknowledge it and we recognize, oh look, there's lots of bad things that are coming out of my idol worship as a result of that. Um, so if I have an idol of food and that's my place of comfort, that's where I run to, and then I start to recognize, oh wow, the God of food is starting to imprint itself on my belly and on my thighs and on my cheekbones and I start to go, oh wow, this is really bad for me. As I love food and yet there's this negative thing that's happening and that I'm starting to become overweight because I'm running to that place when I need comfort rather than running to the Lord, the comfort of Holy Spirit. So we can say, yes, I acknowledge I have this idol of food. I repent for having this, this idol, but I'm starting, I might be repenting because I'm starting to see it's impacting me negatively. So I'm gonna leave that behind. I'm not gonna do that anymore. But our greatest acknowledgement should be, I've sinned against you, Lord. Uh, when uh, King David um, committed adultery, that was the thing that he said when he came before the Lord, when he was convicted of his sin. That's what he says, I have sinned against you, Lord. Now he had sinned against lots of people in his behavior, but the first place and the first thing that he acknowledged was that he had sinned against the Lord. And I think it's so important that we, because if you tear down all of the idols in your life, you will notice the difference of not living in bondage to things. But it's so important that in that process, we acknowledge that we've sinned against the Lord. And that is the first thing that we deal with. So as I said, humanity is created by God to worship Him. It is just the right order of things. It would not make any sense for God to create something that is more worthy of worship than himself because that would make that thing God and therefore he would cease to be God. So that doesn't work. But all of humanity is created to worship God, which means everyone is hardwired to worship. Every single person on the face of the earth is hardwired to worship. That's why advertising works because people are hardwired to worship and they, you're just playing on people's susceptibility to worship. That's all that advertising and marketing really does. It's a form of manipulation to get you to worship something other than God himself. Now, I'm not saying that every marketing person sits down and has a strategy meeting and says, how are we gonna get people to turn away from Jesus? Um, there would be people who do that. But I wanna assure you that the Satan's goal is absolutely that all the time. So it's all people all the time. The only difference is who or what we worship. So we don't have, I, think I shared that quote last week, you know, the opposite of Christianity is an atheism, it's idolatry. So it's not that we're, it's not just that we're not worshiping God, I'm not worshiping anything. It's like, no, you are. You're just worshiping something other than God. You might be worshiping science. You could worship 
knowledge and all of that sort of stuff. You're just worshipping something other than God himself. The tricky part of idolatry is that it's not just worshipping bad things. So sometimes it's hard to acknowledge. Now again, we don't live in a culture that is so obvious that, oh yes, I have this statue out the front of my house. And that's often what they do. They would name a God and they would create an image of that God. And they'll say, this is the God of whatever. Now this God looks after different things and we would go to that God. It was very obvious when you're worshipping a false God. And that would be, I think in our culture, we'd acknowledge, hey, that's not good. I know people, you know, and they might have a Buddha statue out the front of their house. And uh, you know, that's good. I'm not gonna do that, you know. Artifacts and imagery, um, I'm not saying that you've gotta, you know, look at every single thing in your house and go, oh, is it, you know, could be occultic and all that sort of stuff. But there are sometimes things which are demonic. I remember one time I got called, uh, I got a phone call. I don't remember, I think this was from a real estate agent in the local Quinana area. I have no idea how they got my number or even who put them onto me, but they happened to call me and say, we've got one of our, someone in a rental that we are managing. This is like LJ Hooker or something, call me up. And uh, they're just having weird spiritual things going on and we're wondering if you can help. And, uh, and so I said, sure. Mitch, where's Mitch? Hey, remember we went over to that, yeah, that family's house. So I grabbed Mitch, you know, and I thought we'll do this together. I've, I've, I've led Mitch into some interesting situations before in, uh, in, in our, um, the paradox journey. Um, but, uh, but we went there and, uh, and yeah, and ended up, you know, they were just having weird kind of spiritual stuffs going on and we anointed the house. And, but I, that, that was the second time that had happened. And, but, uh, and one time there was a family and they had uh, a lot of indigenous artifacts in their back shed. And uh, so we talked to them about that and just said, look, um, this is, this, the spiritual reality is real, the spiritual realm is real. And sometimes things, artifacts and things that are being used for, you know, kind of spiritual worship uh, can contain, you know, demonic attachment to them. And so we encourage these people to, uh, to get rid of that. And, and, you know, and we just came in and said they weren't Christians, but we just said, you know what, the spiritual realm is real. Uh, and there is one who is the Lord of all of the spirits. He is God over every God the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who is above every God, and his name is Jesus. And so we just prayed in the name of Jesus and we commanded any other spirit to go and it all got cleaned out and cleansed and it's all good now as far as I'm aware. Um, but that's kind of at one end of the spectrum where we acknowledge, okay, there's sometimes these you know, worshipful things, uh, but oftentimes it's so much more subtle and it can even then be good things in our lives. As I mentioned last week, things like exercise. Exercise, what's good for your body, to care for your body, to steward your physical body. But that good thing can become a God thing if we start to rely on it for things that we need to get from the Lord. As one example. 1 John chapter 5, I think this scripture should be on the computer. 1 John 5, 20 to 21. Uh, yeah, uh, hey, there we are. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So there is one true God. He has revealed Himself to us 
but this is an encouragement to believers to keep themselves from idols. So it means that just because they say, no, well, Jesus is Lord of my life. It doesn't mean that, I'm, mean that I'm just covered. I don't need to worry about the potential of worshiping an idol. I'm not sure if it was, it, it may have been John Calvin who said it, um, but he says, something along the lines is of the heart is a perpetual idol factory. So again, because we're hardwired to worship, it's like we're always looking for something to worship. And if we're not filling that void of desire with the Lord, it will naturally be found in something else. So we have then this subtlety of idolatry. So there are values in our culture and even biblical values that can be distorted and become idolatrous and actually used to justify our staying in idolatry if we're not careful. So again, we say, well, that's a good thing. It's a value in culture, it's a biblical value to do something and we then, but we don't acknowledge, but I'm actually, it's become a place of idol worship for us. So something like hard work, working hard, Is that a cultural value, would you say? It's a cultural value to work hard. Maybe not so much these days here. You know, new generations coming through, there's a bit of, you know, judgment against this generation who's not, you know, doesn't work hard and all that sort of stuff. But still, in general, that judgment is there because people say, hey, working hard is a good thing. Is it a biblical virtue to work hard? It is, there's lots of scriptures. But that which is virtuous can become venomous if it becomes a place of idolatry in our heart. So it shifts all of a sudden, and I'm gonna work through. So we've got the virtue, the vice, and the victory. Amen, I love alliteration, is that what it is? Yep, Ah, so good. Now we've got the name right as well. I love getting the name right of things. I just love that, it's just, oh, I'll, I'll repent later. No, no. So we have this virtue of hard work. It's a good thing to work hard. Proverbs chapter 13, verse four. And this is referencing between the sluggard and the diligent or the the slothful one and the hard work. It says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So there is a reward to being diligent to working hard. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. So the wisdom of Solomon contained in Proverbs is saying, being diligent, being a hard worker, not being kind of lazy. You have heaps of Proverbs about uh, laziness versus working hard and being responsible. Uh, New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So this is New Testament, New Covenant. It's not like, oh, Jesus done it all. I don't need to kind of work hard anymore. No, it's still a command that you would work hard and be diligent, amen? So that is a biblical virtue. 
But when we apply that and we're saying, okay, so going to work and, and working hard on my job, that's a good thing. Absolutely it is. But when it starts to go from being a virtue to being a vice, 1 Timothy 6.10 talks then about, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So now work has gone from being a good thing to do to now all of a sudden, oh, I'm starting to kind of make money and I'm starting to be able to, oh, I can buy more toys and I can do this and, and oh, this is a good, I'm enjoying this thing. I'm, I'm taking a biblical value. I'm doing what God said and there is a reward to work. But now it's starting to creep in where money, because money is involved, I'm starting to, oh, I'm starting to really enjoy this. But then the danger is if I start to fall in love with the benefits and the fruit of my hard work, as an example with money, it talks about people being wandering away from the faith because of that. Matthew 6, 19 says, do not, lay up, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which means wherever your heart is, is where, is where your treasure is. Both, both of those ways of understanding it is the same. And it carries on in verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. For he, he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm working hard, I'm being diligent, I'm doing all of these things, and I'm starting, my heart is starting to get captivated by the fruit of my hard work, which is the financial benefit of it. And now that's starting to become a trap for me because my heart is now locked into this place and I'm working more days and I'm maybe working longer hours and I'm starting to let go of my other responsibilities because I'm consumed by the benefits of this good thing that I'm doing. So I read an article by a guy called David Murray and he says workaholism is probably the most respectable sin or you could say idol in Christian community. And he says and oftentimes pastors are the worst leaders of churches, but we have these cultures and it's almost that someone is like they're a super diligent, hard worker. For me, that was the, um, something I had to deal with when I first became a Christian. So I didn't grow up in the church. It was when I was 16 that I started going along to a church. That was my first kind of introduction to the faith journey. And uh, I wasn't um, a super, I was, let's say, I was insecure, very insecure, very socially awkward. Um, I could not, I could, barely hold conversations with people. I mean, you might find it funny that I'm up here talking week after week with no problem, um, but I just couldn't, on a side note, I could, I, I, I'm more confident to stand in front of 10,000 people than to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation because, you know, you gotta be real and open and connected and all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying I don't wanna have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, um, but there is something where it's, it's uh, you know, the intimate kind of connection of things. But man, when I first became a Christian, I was just, Awkward. I didn't enjoy school and I didn't, you know, have lots of friends and all of that sort of stuff. But I came into the church and I, I started to find that I, I love to do things for people. I love to serve people. I love to get involved in stuff and I was involved in lots of areas. But I started to get this reputation 
that it's like if you ask Brad Josh to do something, he'll get it done. And, uh, and I would then start to give lots of my free time in different areas in, in the youth ministry or different things. And I was, you know, I was, I was singing in the choir and I was doing youth group and I was everywhere that I could, I was giving, 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 because what I started to find is that people started to compliment me and it started to mean a lot to me that, wow, people started to, you know, commend me, good job and, you know, well done and all that. I'm like, I'm just starting to love and, and crave the attention that people were giving me. But that comment of, man, Brad Joss gets stuff done, that's a good thing, that's a virtue, that means I've got character. But what I receive that as is that if I want people's praise, the harder I work, the more praise I will get, and my identity started to get tied into that kind of behaviour. Now, it was all good ministry stuff. I wasn't, it wasn't like, man, Brad's awesome, he can break into a car in five seconds and... 13 seconds is my record, but that's another... Yeah, that, it, was, it, was, it was a legal thing. I did it for someone who needed to get in, but I'm not, I'm not telling you where I learnt. Um, but, uh, but you know what, like they were all good things and yet to me they started to become God things. And I started to live in this place and I'm thankful that God started to reveal that to me and I was able to go through, you know, it's, it's a humbling process and, and being cut free from, uh, from all of that sort of stuff, the praise that came from being almost a workaholic even in the church. And that's why you'll find here, and I'm not saying we're awesome or better or anything, but what we've identified in that is that we don't want people to get in that trap of seeing ministry and ministry going from being a good thing to being a, a God thing for people. And so we tend to just try and limit, if we, if we sense that someone's, their identity is tied to ministry, then we will just be like, oh, that's okay. Don't, you don't need to be involved. We'll, we'll get along just fine. Uh, because otherwise what happens is you end up building the church on the back of people's idolatry. Uh, like it concerns me of maybe how much, how many church buildings have been built out of the fruit of someone's idolatry. Because they've been encouraged, yeah, no, go, yeah, go get a second job. Go get a second mortgage and you can pay for our building program and you can invest in here and you can tithe more and you can give more and can do all that sort of stuff. So someone who's worshiping the God of money, it's working out for them for a while, they're getting more money and then they're giving more money and everyone's happy, except for God. Who's got people who are called by His name and yet are worshiping things other than Himself. So how do we break free? from the vice, well, we need the victory of God. And we find some helpful scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul saying, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God, the empowering presence of God that is with me. So Paul's saying, I worked my butt off, but I know it wasn't my power, it wasn't my strength, it was God himself empowering me to do that. So when we talk about doing things by the grace of God, it means we know, man, if the grace of God is upon something, then you can go above and beyond. And then there are times when you feel the grace of God lift, it's like, I actually can't do that anymore because I'd be doing it in my own strength and not in God's strength. But the Apostle Paul is acknowledging Man, I worked harder than anybody, and yet it wasn't me. 
It was the grace of God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when it comes to work, and you can apply this to whatever job you might have, and even if it might be unpaid work, parenting and things like that, whatever you're giving yourself to, saying, I'm not doing this for the glory of my children, the glory of my, I'm doing this for the glory of the Lord. I'm not doing this so I can receive praise and glory from my boss. I'm doing this so I can receive praise and glory from Jesus, because He is the one who's called me to work. So again, even if we might have a job and we're like, you know what, I'd just love to do ministry all day. Ah, oh, but I gotta work this job that's just boring and I'm not that passionate and interested in it. And that might be fine. You might say, this is not the career for the rest of my life. But it doesn't matter what you're doing, work as though you're working for the Lord. If your boss is a jerk, just treat him like Jesus. Because that's who you're working for. That's who your reward is coming from. That's the inheritance that's coming to you is from Jesus himself. And I wanna encourage you, if you're not enjoying your job and you start to shift your perspective, say, I'm doing this for Jesus, you're gonna start to enjoy your job a lot more. I think it was Mark Driscoll that said, the reason that you get paid to do your job is because it's inconvenient. It's funny, it's like, oh, I hate my job. It's like, that's why they pay you because you, no one would do it otherwise. <laughs> I think I'd do my job. No, I'd do parts of my job if I wasn't paid. I'd pick all of the good, the good bits. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to understand, if, this is just taking one example of, of work or a job where it can become, go for missing, hey, that's a, good, that's a good thing to work hard, and all of a sudden it becomes a vice, a place of bondage for us because our perspective is wrong, our heart starts to fall in love with the wrong aspects. So we need the victory, which is then to say, everything that I do is about worshiping Jesus. And I can live, so then I can go and I can work hard but I'm gonna work hard by the grace of God. I can work hard, but I'm doing it for Him. And I'm gonna receive the reward that comes from Jesus Himself. One thing about idols is idols demand sacrifices. Now this is when we go through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant with God, God Himself required sacrifices from His people. So again, there are just the ways and, and things in the creation order that are there. We say, well, why does God need sacrifices? I mean, there's lots of reasons, but it's just, that's just who God is, that's how it works. And that's why people from all different cultures would still have false gods that they would worship and they would make sacrifices to them. Sometimes they were worse kinds of sacrifices, you know, child sacrifices, horrible things like that. Um, or it might've been a, a goat some people, they might say, hey, well, oh, they're both kids. Um, but you know, like it's, it's one maybe more socially acceptable than the other. Um, but it's just kind of part of the way that God relating to people and whether that's the one true God or the false God. Now we have the ultimate uh, sacrifice being made in the life of Jesus. That's why, as you see in all of those Old Testament patterns and every sacrificial system that existed, we see Jesus fulfilling those things. So Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement in the Jewish calendar, and they have two goats, uh, one goat where they, um, that would be the, 
the, they, the propitiation goat uh, is what they call. So where they would say there's one goat that we'll sacrifice, we'll put on the altar, we'll give it a slice and dice, bleed it out, burn it. And that was the uh, sacrifice, the goat that would receive all of the wrath of God would be poured out upon that goat. Okay, so that's called propitiation, the outpouring of wrath. And then there was a second goat, which they called the scapegoat. And that goat, they prayed, the priest would pray all of the sins of the people onto that second goat and then send it off into the wilderness and it would take away the sins of the people. Okay, so again, Jesus represents that. That's why he was, you know, he's the lamb who was slain, all of those sorts of things. So we have the perfect sacrifice. So we don't need to live in that sacrificial system. That's why God doesn't demand sacrifices from us anymore because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But any other God will demand sacrifice from people. We might sacrifice our time, our energy, our money, our relationships, our other responsibilities in order to worship this idol. And we can actually then start to have a sense of significance and satisfaction when we look at all that we have sacrificed to please this idol. I'm so important and the thing that I'm doing is so significant that I just had to sacrifice my marriage or my children or my relationships in order to fulfill my obligations. That's how important I am that the covenant that I made to my wife, let's say, or that old thing, that not the wife, the covenant, This is a hypothetical, so I'm doing these ones. Is that, that covenant is secondary now to this greater covenant that I've made with this God of hard work and my job and my significance that comes from that, that I'll actually let that go and, and, and kind of leave that behind. How many marriages have fallen apart because of work commitments? I don't, there's plenty of marriages that have fallen apart because of ministry commitments for people where the church takes up all of their time. I remember having a conversation with, uh, with my cousin who is a lawyer and uh, he's been around to, to different law firms, but he was sharing with me that he was at a, uh, a retirement party for one of the bosses, like the partners of the firm that he works for. And, uh, and everyone, you know, was kind of celebrating and, you know, saying all good stuff or whatever. But as my cousin who is you know, younger than me, but looked at this man's life, and if you might be in his 60s and very, very, very wealthy. He has worked hard, but it's kind of the culture of when you become a lawyer is you just give up your life and serve the law firm in that kind of way. And really, you, you don't even necessarily get promoted because you're the best at what you do. It's just that you work harder than anybody else sometimes. But he, in knowing this man's life, my cousin looked at his life and he's like, He's divorced, maybe, you know, I don't remember all the details, but maybe on his third marriage and that's ended. His kids are all estranged from him. He doesn't really speak to his kids, doesn't have a great relationship. And now he's retiring to maybe go do nothing and I wonder how bad retirement is gonna be for this guy because all of a sudden all of his significance and his identity was tied up in this job and now he's gonna go from there and undoubtedly have a really difficult time. All the money in the world that he could ever need and you're all of his significance tied to something that doesn't exist anymore. But this is my cousin sharing with me and saying, and he's just coming to this realization, he's like, I don't want that. I don't want that life. I don't wanna give all of my life to, to this, to a job. 
And I'm so glad that he's, he's seeing that. So then he has to make decisions like, oh, I don't know if this is, how do I now shift my career into a different pathway? But that is what can happen. It demands, these idols demand a sacrifice. It might be your life or it might be the lives of those around you, your health, your well-being. And this demand for sacrifice will never be satisfied. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice who has satisfied God forever. But before Jesus, the people would. Every year they would come and there would just be sacrifices and at different times throughout the year. So it was because it was never fully enough to satisfy the gods or to satisfy even God himself. The demand for sacrifice will never be satisfied. So we keep giving more and we keep giving more and the satisfaction that comes from the sacrifice is never enough. So again, I'm just focusing in on one area of work because I think it applies to all of us. Not that you all view work as an idol, but you can see, I've seen that or I know someone who's maybe in that situation then the money and the reward that we receive is never enough. The significance is, is never enough. And I'm always then pursuing more and more and more from that. And another element is that that which we idolize, we will eventually demonize. You end up hating the very thing that you once worshiped. Now this happens more often with people. You know, when we idolize other people, if you've ever had that experience, I've had it plenty of times. Inevitably, when you're in a church leadership position, uh, there is this thing, it's called transference, would be the, probably the psychological term for it. But you inevitably, without trying, start to represent, can represent for people, maybe a father figure or a mother figure, some sort of significant authority figure in their lives. But then they're like, oh, but you're a, a Christian and you're a pastor, so you must be perfect so I can find all of my things that I missed out from my, from my paternal earthly parents and I can find them in you and you'll be the perfect person. You'll never let me down and you'll encourage me and praise me and do all of those sorts of things. I'm not saying you guys do that for me, but I've had plenty enough experience and seen it happen enough in church environments. And it's not because I think I'm awesome or special, it's just when people represent something to people when they're given a title or, or a position of authority. And then what happens is that person, all of a sudden, I'm like, maybe someone's like, yeah, I wanna connect closely with the pastor of the church because that will give me a sense of significance or they'll meet some need that I have in my heart. You know, my dad, oh, sorry, Siri, um, you know, my dad never gave me attention, but the pastor gives me attention. Or my, my dad never said he was proud of me. The, the pastor told me he was proud of me. And, oh, this is so good. I'm, I'm receiving all of these things that I need, these needs in my heart. But eventually, this person lets me down because they don't live up to this unrealistic and uncommunicated expectation that I've placed upon them. Because I've actually put them not in a position of, of honour and because of the authority or whatever God has put on them. I've actually put them in a position of God and you're gonna be the answer to my problems. And then all of a sudden, people who once were so in love with you, now all of a sudden despise you 
and they leave the church and they're offended and they discount all of the good things that you've done and poured out into their lives because there was one thing that you didn't do. You didn't look at me when I came in the door and you didn't pray for me. You asked someone else to pray for me when I asked you to pray for me and you didn't call me back the, on the day that I called you and you didn't do this and you wouldn't come to this and you didn't you just... You didn't live up to all of these things. Now, I didn't tell you that I expected you to do all of those things because if I'd communicated to you, you would have said, actually, I don't want that expectation put upon my life. No, it was all hidden and behind the scenes, but I put it on you anyway, and now you've let me down, so I am leaving because you all suck. <laughs> Idols will always let you down because they're very bad at being God. <laughs> I will always let you down. Not always. I will let you down if you ever view me because I am really bad at being God and I don't want to. And if I sometimes, you can kind of sense it in people. It's like, oh, you, you're, you're slightly absent because you want something from me. I'm like, oh, that's not going to work out well for you because I suck at being God. So go to him, please. I'll direct you there because uh, he's going to be really good at not letting you down but I'm gonna be really bad at doing that. It becomes a place of bondage where we end up trapped in this relationship of loving something that we hate. So we're trapped. So it's like, ah, you know, work is robbing me of all my energy and my time and a thing, but I just can't let it go because I'm in bondage to it, but I hate it. Oh, it's the worst, and it's, oh, it's killing me. But I can't let it go. Idols will always let you down because they are bad at being God. And this is the issue. Idolatry is, in some ways, it's covenantal. We, we, we form a bond. We come into relationship with it and we make, not necessarily spoken from our mouths, but we make covenants with idols because we say, you're gonna meet all of my needs. You're the answer to my problems. And so I give myself to you with the expectation that I'm gonna be okay. So we end up bonded to our idols because they become a source of life to us. It actually becomes a source of life. We become dependent upon this idol to survive. I can't let that go because who am I going to be if I'm not that person? I can't let that job go. Not because I love the job, but because it gives me some sense of title and significance that I share with people. They go, oh, wow, you're one of those. Ooh. You know? So who am I if, I'm, if I don't carry the title anymore? This is why sometimes the thought of tearing down an idol can seem so scary because we can't foresee a way of living without it. So no, you don't understand, it's my life source. What if, if that job is not an idol to me? Who's gonna provide for me? Who's gonna provide for my family? God. <laughs> And this is why it actually requires a spiritual divorce and oftentimes a deliverance to separate ourselves from it. It's not just saying, oh yeah, my job's been, oh well, I'll just, I'll just say it's not anymore. That'll, that'll do it. 
It requires repentance. It requires an acknowledgement that I've been worshiping that thing. I've been treating it like it's God. I need to break covenant with that thing. I need to repent, renounce, be released from it so that actually my heart becomes divorced and disconnected from that which I've come into covenant relationship with. So again, what I didn't talk about last week is idolatry and demonization. So idols can be connected to actual false gods or demons, okay? I'm not saying everything that, I mean, I'm sure, you could buy a Buddhist statue from the reject shop and there's no demon living inside of it, okay? Not suggesting it's a good idea, I'm just saying that that's a possibility, okay, to do that. Um, and in the same way, you can find there's something, you know what, I've just, I've been, I've been seeking all of my comfort in food rather than God. Doesn't mean you need to go and burn your fridge, um, you know, uh, anointed with oil. I mean, you're welcome to do that, but you know, like it doesn't mean there's a demon living inside of your fridge, freezing itself. You're like, um, it's a sugar demon. <laughs> yeah, my kids become sugar demons sometimes, but that's um, from what they consume. Uh, <laughs> Beavers and butthead, anyone? No? Are you threatening me? Some, someone will get it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, someone 35 and above and probably under. Yes, okay, thank you. <sighs> All right. So idols can be connected to actual demons. Not every demon is an actual God, but it can be. Now this is the devil's plan, is to turn you away from worshiping the one true God and using all sorts of tantalizing things and subtle things to draw your heart away from him. Now that can come in the form of accusation where it's like, well, did, you know, God said he was gonna do that. Has he come through for you? All of those sorts of lies that we can get caught into believing. Uh, we see in Matthew chapter four, verse eight, it says, again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is the lie of idolatry that the devil will use to say, but is God, can God really provide that for you when you've got this thing right here? Well, I mean, you could go to the Holy Spirit for comfort, but you've got a fridge right here. You could, I mean, you could, you could go to God for your identity or you can just go to work tomorrow. You know, really, it's kind of easier and just quicker and, you know, is God really gonna come through for you? And so we're presented with all of these things that we can receive from this false God because we've actually never given ourselves even to see if that will be satisfac if satisfaction will be found in him. G.K. Chesterton says, uh, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, it's that it's never fully been tried. So oftentimes we think, oh, I don't think God will meet that for me, but I've never tried. I've never gone to him in that place because I've always just gone to the idol because it's quicker and easier and there's the satisfaction and gratification might just be quicker and easier. Because again, God's not gonna put himself and say, well, yeah, you come and treat me like an idol and I'll behave the same way. 
like, no, I'm God. You come to me like I'm God and you will receive from me like my child. You come to me and treat me like an idol. I, don't, I just don't imagine. I don't like people treating me poorly. I can imagine that God is the same or much, not worse, better. Yeah, he's always better. Um, I'll give all of these things if you bow down and worship me. That's, that's the lie that idols give. If you worship me, I'll give all of these things to you. Jesus knows the answer. You shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. Now listen, if Satan tried it on Jesus, I can almost guarantee he's gonna try it on you. Not because you're more important than Jesus, but because you're probably weaker than Jesus more open to deception, more open to temptation. Agreed? Anyone here stronger and better than Jesus? No, okay? So there's a good chance Satan's gonna use this same technique to lure you away from worshiping him alone to worshiping false gods. Deuteronomy 32 verse 16 says, they stirred God to jealousy with strange gods and abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently. It's the new model, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. They sacrificed the demons that were no gods. He's not saying that, I mean, the demons aren't gods, but he's like, you're going and you're giving yourself, you're sacrificing yourself to demons. Leviticus 17, seven, it says, so they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. 1 Timothy 4, one. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. In later times, maybe around like 2,000 years after that was written, there's a chance that that was written to inform us that there are deceitful spirits, there are demons, and sometimes when we give our heart to something other than the Lord, we open ourselves up to actually being demonized, to being impacted, to being oppressed and being locked into bondage with the demonic. I don't know what your theology is around demonization. You might say, well, Christians can't be demonized. Um, it may just be you've never met a demonized Christian because I've met loads of them. <laughs> They're sitting right here. <laughs> so, no. They've been freed, I mean. <laughs> oh, wow. I... Please don't make a meme out of that, Andrew. <laughs> I mean, I've seen people who I'd say, they are faithful, Jesus-loving people, and God, the Holy Spirit has revealed things and demons have been cast out of them. They are walking in freedom and life, and it's good. And I'm not saying anyone here has a demon, but I'm saying if you've been worshiping idols, there's a chance that there might be some deeper attachments there that we need to deal with. And we're gonna deal with them today. Do you hear that, demons? 
you're going to be dealt with today. Your time has come. So we are going to pray today. And my expectation is not just that you will repent if Holy Spirit has revealed any idols in your heart, but also that you'll be delivered from any demonic attachment that you have not just tolerated in your life, but worshipped in your idolatry. God doesn't just want you free from the negative impact of your idolatry. He wants your heart back. He wants your worship back. He wants your life back. He wants what rightfully belongs to Him because He purchased you for a great price. But you need to be aware, no one's gonna force you to repent of your idolatry. If God is willing to hand us over to our idolatry, then I'm not gonna get in His way. And that should put the fear of the Lord in us. That we think, sometimes we can think we're safe because, oh, but God's, you know, he'll, he'll, it's all right, the grace of God will cover my sin, the grace of God will cover my idolatry. He'll lift His grace and He'll release you. He'll hand you over to the demonic. Jesus has already stepped off His throne once to save you. The next time He steps off His throne will be to judge you. So don't invite Him to come again if you're not ready for that. Yeah, God is love. I'm not saying any of that to, to, to try and crush you. I'm just saying we need to take this stuff seriously because God takes it seriously. The New Testament church took it seriously. Post, that's post-crucifixion church took it seriously and warned us of it. The answer is right before us. It's so simple. Jesus has done all of the hard work. What we do is sign on the dotted line. And that signature is one of repentance and renouncing and just saying, Jesus, I trust you to look after me in every way. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Every yoke of slavery around is, every idol is a yoke of slavery around your neck. But it's freedom time, amen? All right. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna stand together. Um, I'm gonna, we're gonna pray a corporate prayer together. Now again, you can stand there silent. I, I really mean it, you are not forced to agree with anything that I've said or to pray any prayer. No one's gonna point out things to you. I would encourage you to invite people that are close to you. Say, hey, have you noticed anything in my life that you think might be an idol, okay? If you're bold enough to do that, I encourage you. No one's gonna be hunting you down. You're not gonna receive a, a letter in the mail saying, here's your list of idols that we've mapped out for you that you need to repent of, okay? Because again, if you're, if you're doing this, for, for some other reason than for him, it's not gonna be effective, okay? We just don't want that. So there is complete freedom for you not to engage in any of this and no one's gonna judge you. If they do judge you, that's on them because they will reap the reward of their judgment. So if you're sitting there judging other people, can I please get you to not do that? This is gonna be really bad for you. Uh, this is individual time to invite the Holy Spirit to say, if there's anything, Lord, would you reveal it? because I wanna worship you with the fullness of my heart, the fullness of my being, and I wanna be free from any idol that would keep me bound and trapped. Amen? All right.
So why don't you stand with me? Again, I'm turning the lights down not to try and make the way it just might help just to not feel like your a spotlight is on you in any way. And uh, Andrew's gonna put just some soft music in the background. Again, we're not trying to in any way manipulate anything. It's just sometimes helps to cut out the in-between noise, people maybe confessing things out loud. Um, the words of this prayer will be on the screen, but I wanna encourage you to maybe close your eyes and just focus on God. But the words are there in case you misunderstand something that I'm saying. Um, or if you feel like, oh yeah, I just wanna follow along or, or I wanna check that. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree. I don't wanna pray that bit, okay? Um, but it's gonna be up there. But I think sometimes if we just read it out, it doesn't kind of hit as much. God might give you a picture as you're praying. He might give you a memory of something. So he might speak to you in picture in a memory, some other way. You might feel something in your body. If you start to feel pain somewhere, okay, that can just be the demonic stuff getting stirred up. Don't be afraid of it. I'm not afraid of demons. Jesus isn't afraid of your demons. But if you start, it's called, it's just a demon manifesting. He's getting caught out. The light of God has been shone upon it and it means it's time for that thing to go. Okay, so we have a ministry team, okay, that if you feel like I need some more prayer, you're welcome to stay where you are and, and you can just raise your hand up high, okay, if you feel like stuff's, oh, I'm feeling dizzy, I'm feeling sick, I feel like I'm gonna vomit, I feel pain all of a sudden shooting somewhere, okay, that can just be demonic manifestation, nothing for you to be concerned about. If as we're praying and ministering, people start making noises, start screaming, start coughing, start yelling, don't be concerned. Okay, it's just people, it's just the sound of freedom. Yep, You're, and you are safe to cry here. You are safe to vomit all over the floor. That's why it's mostly concrete. Um, we're prepped and ready, yeah. If you cannot spew on the carpet, that'd be great. <laughs> but the chairs are scotch guarded, so it's all good. Um, but, but really just uh, what I would hate is for you to feel like, oh, I've, I've got to hold back. Um, you might want some prayer in private and we can do that as well. If you feel, actually, I just don't want to do this here, um, we, can, we can take you out to another place and, and do that in private if you'd prefer. So again, this is a, this is a no shame zone, this is a no fear zone, um, but it is a freedom zone and it might take some boldness for you to invite others to help you in order for you to come into fullness of freedom. Is that okay? All right. We love you. We are for you. We are with you. You're not going to be left alone in this process, okay? And if you don't feel anything and God doesn't reveal anything, that's okay as well. All right. So we're going to pray. It might be good if you just speak out aloud. I'll say a little bit and then you'll say it out loud. So Father, we ask for your forgiveness for where we have replaced you with a false God. We repent for turning away from you and worshiping false gods. We renounce all of the idols that you have revealed to us. And we're just gonna give a moment now where you can just speak them out. If out loud, you can just whisper it silently, just quietly under your breath but actually just speak out anything. And we're gonna give time. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now? 
Spirit of revelation, come. That you'd reveal, Lord. You are so gentle. This is a moment of your kindness, God. We need not fear what you're revealing, Lord. But we ask, Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Reveal any wicked way within us as, the, as King David prayed, Lord. To give a name to it, Holy Spirit, so we can renounce it. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would tear them down on our behalf. And we walk away from these idols and our reliance upon them. Father God, please bond us to you in the places we were bonded to those idols. Please bond us to your Holy Spirit in place of where we were receiving from these idols. Jesus, would you go back across the timeline of our lives to the first time we were tempted to bond with these idols. And would you cut us free from that point? And would you meet the need we had even at that time? Will you, will you attach us to you at every age and stage? Would you deal with the fear and the pain that led us to find these things as our answer? Would you bring us to peace at your chest? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm gonna pray. Well, as your word says, Lord, we come with that divine authority and I command a tearing down of these structures, Lord, these idolatrous structures and frameworks, Father, that may have been built up in people's lives from early childhood, even in the womb, Lord, where we have responded to life, to lack, to trauma. But that something has been built in the place of you and we have learnt and we have grown to worship that thing in your place. But you desire to be our God in every area, in every way, that you are jealous for us, Lord. You are jealous for us, God. You are jealous for us. You want every part of us, Lord. That's how much you love us. That's how much you care for us. You want every part. So Jesus, we give every part to you. And we ask that you would come now, Lord, and set us free from any demonic attachment that may have been made, Lord, with the God or the demon attached to any of these idols in our heart, Lord. And we ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and you would release us, Lord, from the bondage to the demonic, and we command every unclean demonic spirit to go now 
in Jesus' name. We command you to go. Would you set your people free, Holy Spirit? And we thank you, Lord, that you are building new structures, God, new ways of thinking, new ways of believing, new ways of behaving, God. Would you turn the lights on? Would you show us the way forward, Lord? Would you show us what it looks like to walk in freedom from these idols, Lord? And Lord, would you lead us, even as we go from this place, that we would go and do something about these idols, Lord. We would tear down what needs to be tore down. We would change whatever habits we need to change. We will stop or remove whatever needs to be stopped or removed, Lord. We thank you for freedom, Jesus. So Amy's just going to continue praying for us. Um, just felt the Lord um, invite any repentance for sacrificing others for our idol. If we've sacrificed maybe a partner or children or best friends or family or community or colleagues or people that work underneath us that we've hired or... Um, yeah, the Lord will show us. But whenever there's an idol, there's a sacrifice, and sometimes we don't feel the impact of that because the sacrifice is not usually us. It's usually another. And we choose for them um, that this thing wins. And so let's just bring that before the Lord. Holy Spirit, will you reveal to us um, who we've sacrificed for things we've served Thank you, Holy Spirit. So we repent to you, Lord, for sacrificing others to meet our own need. And we receive your forgiveness. Another one I wondered is if we could repent to our own bodies uh, for the impact on our health, wellness, um, and even at a cellular level, muscular level, for stress, um, for overworking and busyness, um, for anxiety, that, that we have, when we have anxiety from our own choices, um, for the impact of food and alcohol and drugs and pills, and things we inhale, and our uh, five senses, so our eye gate from things we've looked at, and our ear gate from things we've listened to, and our mouth for any of involvement in that, and our smell, 
our hands, touch, our various organs of our body, our heart, digestive system, bowels, lungs, impact on kidneys, impact on our nervous system, impact on our adrenal glands, sexual organs, reproductive system, feet, shoulders and neck, muscles, and the frontal lobe, the problem-solving part of our, our um, mind. So if some of us have had a false refuge of thinking a lot and processing and going up to our head, I, was, I had a visualization this morning when I was with Jesus and I just saw, I was like on a, on a I was in the Psalm 23 and I was just on a picnic mat with him uh, beside the still waters and I just re repented for that problem solving part of my brain and I saw him put his hand um, on my forehead and then almost the whole top of my head sort of disappeared as he just sort of pushed, pushed my <laughs> head away. And I just saw him reach into my head and just like pull out like fire in a snake kind of way. And he just loves to take the throne back instead of the problem solving being what we turn to. I think it just really meant a lot to him that our king isn't um, our thinking and our getting through and problem solving. Um, so interestingly, not to break this time of prayer, I spoke for two weeks on self-sufficiency and then went into this week of fasting and the Lord told me that I had another false refuge because I've had a list of them and I was self-sufficient. But he just told me this week, um, one of your false refuges is, your, is one of your prophetic gifts and one of your gifts I've given you is a false refuge. And that was a new concept for me. But a spiritual gift I have is discernment and another one I have is wisdom. And he's like, you're interviewing wisdom, as it says in the word, or refers to her as a she. You interview wisdom, and you'd sit looking in, in discernment, but, but instead of actually talking to me, like we can actually sift things ourselves. And he's like, won't you mingle your words with mine? Won't you actually ask me about that and listen to what I have to say on it? And I wonder if a lot of us go home and we analyze and ponder and we process. And to me, analyzing, not overanalyzing, just analyzing and pondering and process took me to peace. I was able to think what I felt about that situation, that conversation, how the gathering went, and I'd come to peace. And he's like, that's, um, that's the false refuge peace. That's not the, the prince of peace. Can you come and actually talk to me about the conversation and the, the gathering and what you're picking up and actually not not use your spiritual gift as a false refuge. So even in that way, he's like, I really want your minds to not be your friends. First of all, I want to be your friend. And I want to hear your thoughts and I want to, I want you to speak to me and I want to give you my counsel because it's better than earthly wisdom. And so I just repent to you as a church for having that false refuge while I've also been leading here. I'm just really, really repent. Um, as I've been doing a lot of this week. Is there anyone who can receive my forgiveness? I'm just really sorry. Thank you. Um, but let's just bring that one in case there's more of us. Just We're just sorry, Lord, for any of our thinking about situations instead of conversing with you being a false refuge.
and we repent if any of our spiritual gifts are what we go to to get through something or to hear wisdom in a situation instead of just conversing directly with you who was the gift giver. Would you just bless our minds and we just renounce even our own minds as false refuges, which is different to the blessed place that you want us to think from. But if any of our thinking has been a false refuge, we just repent for that false refuge. And we repent for the impact on our frontal lobe, the problem-solving part of our brain, and the overdrive it puts on the nervous system. We repent for the impact on our amygdala, hippocampi, Lord, any parts of our brain because of our choices to be on overdrive and in these refuges. This may sound strange to some of you and don't do it if you don't feel comfortable, but I've actually been led through a season where I was repenting to my own body myself. So that could be something you just would want to look into as a, as a journey. But I've actually just found some breakthrough come to where my I'm involved in maybe some idols or some overdrive or some over-responsibility was one of mine. Um, but then the impact it had on me, I needed to repent to me about and for me to forgive me for. And I just feel like I'm coming back into alignment. But Lord, today we repent to you for the impact on our own bodies, for everything we've inhaled or touched or looked at or, or eaten, for any under-exercise and over-exercise. And um, we receive your forgiveness now. Just receive your forgiveness. And we receive your forgiveness for all we repented of before, even while Brad was praying. We just thank you that before our sin was red as scarlet and now it's white as snow. So far have you removed our transgression from us. And it is now as far as the east is from the west. We receive the cleansing. Holy Spirit, would you come and cleanse this room? Would you come and cleanse hearts, bodies, spirits, wills and emotions from the impact of our decision? Would you just come and cleanse? Holy Spirit, would you just come like a waterfall? Would you come with the, the water of the word? And would you wash where there has been sin? Would you wash our eye gates, our ear gates, our senses, our bodies, at a, even at a cellular level? Would you just wash our organs? Would you wash us from the impact of our decisions and our choices and our bondage? You don't, we don't deserve the washing, but we, we ask for mercy and that you would come and wash us clean would you wash our homes from what we've brought in, from what the sounds that we've let be on, or this from the screens or from the, the songs on the radio or the CDs we've bought or whatever, our phones? Would you wash us from the impact of things we've seen scrolling? Just wash us. Would you wash our families? Would you wash our generational lines from what we've been into? Would you just release the children and the children's children from the from the sin? Would you just release? Would you release the children? Would you release this community from each other's decisions? Because the sin impacts the body. None of us have a, even a private sin that doesn't impact the church. Because we are one. And so, Jesus, would you just wash this church from, from our choices that have impacted this church? And we repent for impacting this, the body, the bride. We repent for tarnishing the bride, for putting mud on her garment, 
for putting mud on her face, for knots of mud in her, in her hair. We just repent for our responsibility in tarnishing the bride. Would you close the doors, Lord, that are open in our lives? Would you lead us through that process? Would you get us the help we need? Would you bring those ministers alongside who can help with that process? We know there's lots of that in this community, so we thank you for bringing us here. But would you close all doors, generational doors we don't even know of, um, doors we do know that we've opened? Would you close all doors that are creating a, an, an, the flow of iniquity to carry on in our lives? And we, we choose to close these doors to things you're giving us revelation of. We choose to. Would you help us as, as Brad prayed with the fear because there isn't the bond of trust with you yet. Hence we went to those things. And Lord, it might take a season and a process and more heart stuff to do, but Lord, as we go forward, I pray that you would supernaturally build trust into people's hearts, trust between you and them and between you and the body, the church. Because some of us are self-sufficient when it comes to you and some of us are self-sufficient when it comes to, to each other because of a, a trust issue. And some of us are involved in stuff, sin, outright sin, uh, false refuge idols because of a trust issue, that you won't meet that need. Some of us have judged that my needs are too big for this community. And Jesus, you're the only one who can build trust in, and I pray that you would go back ac across the timeline of, of all of our lives and you would build trust in, in any way that there are gaps were there. And we just, I thank you that I can, we can expect you to build that trust in. We don't have to summon it up with our own strength, but we get to receive you going backwards and building trust in. Jesus, would you build trust in with the Father? Would you build it in? Would you build it in with you? Oh, Holy Spirit, there's some trust issues with you. There's some trust issues with you, Holy Spirit. Would you help us? Would you help us to trust you, Holy Spirit, and to build friendship with you, Holy Spirit? Because you are the companion. You are the comforter. You are the one that Jesus said, it's important I go because I send the better one to hang out with you. The companion, the comforter, the helper. And it's, it's you, Holy Spirit, that we need in the private lives when these things come up and when we're unsettled and when we turn to these things. We need you, Holy Spirit. Teach us how to be friends with you and have a relationship with you and how to flow with you during the day. Thank you for the promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that we can expect you to follow us home, to be with us, to walk with us tomorrow, to help us with these things. You will counsel every step of the way. Even if we stumble 20 times, you will counsel. Help us turn to you for counsel, not straight to a friend or straight to anything else. You will counsel us through this. We're gonna get free and be back with our bridegroom in love with our lover, eyes locked with him, hungry for more, always hungry for more than the day before. We're gonna be alive again. We're gonna be awake again. We're gonna be awake, we're gonna be alive, we're gonna be in love, we're gonna be passionate as the bride again. We're getting up, we're getting up. Awake, awake, O oh sleeper. Awake, awake, O oh sleeper. Awake, awake, bride. Your bridegroom is coming.
just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and stir up worship in our hearts, in those void places, Lord, in every vacant space that an idol once had. Would you come and stir us up, show us how to worship you in that place. Show us how to find our refuge and our comfort and our safety in you, Lord. And as we go from here, Lord, would you be showing, revealing, God, even something that may not have come up in our hearts today or during the week, would you just continue, Lord, to reveal to us any areas where we are worshiping anything or anyone other than you and help us, Lord, to be quick to repent and to turn to you and to worship you with all our hearts and all our lives. You're so good to us, God. We love you, Jesus. Amen.